0: people filled the streets of Hong Kong this Sunday in a record-breaking march to protest a controversial law they fear will surrender their liberties to Beijing.
1: Though the extradition bill has been suspended, right now the people seem to have the momentum and say they won't let up until it's fully withdrawn.
0: Elsewhere, a battle royale in the streets of Bangkok, and we're not talking about Apex Legends.
1: A Jagartan man kills another man who wasn't the man he pawned his wife to. Oops.
0: China straight up sinks a Filipino fishing boat. Is President Rodrigo Duterte mad enough?
1: We're going to talk about these stories and more on the Coconuts podcast, our look at what's whack and wonderful in Southeast Asia this week.
0: In Thailand, for Coconuts Bangkok, I'm Tara Kamalvitsnavith.
1: And I'm Todd Reese. Well, before we dive into the news, Tara, why do motorcycle taxi drivers fight?
0: (laughs) Is that a philosophical question?
1: Well, you know where I'm going with this, and we'll get to Bangkok's motorcycle taxi street war in a moment. But it got me thinking about, like, this complicated relationship most of us living in Southeast Asia have with them, especially in the more transport-challenged cities like Jakarta and KL.
0: Screaming through traffic on the back of some guy's motorcycle?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, when traffic's so dire, like, life finds a way. I was terrified when I rode one the first time. How about you?
0: You know, I love riding on motorbikes, but have you ever been on a motorbike that twitches?
1: Oh, you mean like the tweaky? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. There but it's are, not like are some a head tilt; it's like a guys jerk. out
0: there. Mm. Yeah, and you're just kind of like, "Are you okay?" Or
1: well, anything? that reminds me of the one guy who always uses our time together to try to sell me weed. Mm. They get a bad rap in society, but I mean, they do bring efficiency to what are inefficient streets.
0: Absolutely. And
1: it's a huge business with a lot of mafia types calling the shots.
0: Which we saw Saturday when two taxi groups got in a running street battle in broad daylight. But before we get into that we need to talk about what's happening in Hong Kong. Okay, so let's take a moment to talk about what this extradition bill exactly is. So back in February, Hong Kong announced the plan for the bill originally as a response to a murder case. But concerns were immediately raised as critics fear that such law would tighten mainland China's grip on civil society and basically allow it to pursue political enemies. And of course, people are really opposed to this because, Over the years that Hong Kong has been able to operate independently without submitting to the same censorship regulations imposed by the central government, freedom of speech has become a bedrock value of the city. So throughout this month, there has been numerous protests against the bill, which finally pushed the Hong Kong government to suspend its work. Though Chief Executive Carrie Lam announced the pause this Sunday, citizens were not deterred and still took to the streets. Now calling for Hong Kong to scrap the bill altogether, as well as an apology from Lam. We're going to come back to talk about Hong Kong with our colleague there right now, Stuart White. But before that, let's jump to see what's going on in our other cities.
1: Okay, now over to Jakarta, where in a pretty messed up case of mistaken identity, an Indonesian man faces 20 years in prison for killing what turned out to be the wrong guy. It all started when Hori Bin Suwari did what anyone facing hard times would do, He pawned his wife to another guy named Hartono for 250 million rupiah, or about 18,000 bucks U.S. Well, fast forward a year later, and he made the noble decision to reclaim his wife by killing Hartono rather than repaying the debt. Well, apparently Hartono looked just like this other guy, Mohamed Toha, who Hori then went and actually killed, according to the chief police investigator, who I want to point out has the most badass name ever, Hassan Cobra. The lesson, folks, don't use your spouses as collateral. And if you do, ask to see some ID before, you, you know, no, just, just don't pawn your spouse.
0: From Manila, where Filipinos are angry at President Rodrigo Duterte, known to many as Donald Trump of the East, for downplaying the sinking of a fishing boat. So what happened is that on Sunday, June 9th, a Chinese trawler hit a Philippine one. China peaced out and left 22 Filipino fishermen to fend for themselves as their boat was sinking. Yeah, the fishermen were reportedly stranded for hours until they were finally saved by a Vietnamese boat. After a week of silence, the Duterte finally gave a speech yesterday claiming that the incident was just a maritime accident. And Filipinos are pissed. Because this is the guy who promises to fill the bay with dead bodies from the war on drugs. This is a guy who fancies himself as a big, tough guy, a big gangster, who is just a pussycat when it comes down to China. Kind of like what Trump is to Russia.
1: Oh, boy. Say what you will about Malaysian politics. These folks know how to sex scandal. After a very graphic sex tape featuring a very recognizable official hit the webs, Economic Affairs Minister Azmin Ali publicly came out to say it was a nefarious plot to assassinate his reputation. Q 27-year-old Hazik Abdullah Abdulaziz, who stepped forward the next day to identify himself as the other half of the viral sausage party and condemn Ali as unfit for public service once the police got involved, it forced everyone's favorite senior citizen prime minister to go from playfully dodging the matter to gravely condemning the video, claiming it was some kind of deep fake. Even former PM Najib Razak, who's in the hole with like 42 serious charges against him, chimed in to say he wasn't responsible, as if anyone had asked.
0: Our next story is about room rentals, which as we all know can be an annoying process, But for one woman in Singapore, the experience actually turned into sexual harassment when her potential landlord started sending her wildly inappropriate and absolutely unwanted solicitations. Screen graphs from the messages show that the woman's conversation with the landlord, who goes by the obviously fake username Chao Yen Fat, started seemingly innocent. With the woman telling Chao about her work hours and her living habits, but as soon as she turned down the room, he immediately flipped from business to creepy. I give you free stay with me. You don't want a? He asked her. Todd, do you want to read the rest for effect of the male voice or is that too creepy? And bear with me. His English is like horrific.
1: Am I reading the cheap ass? Yes. I w- thought you, you cheap ass want everything cheap room. Now I f- Now I five you free.
0: Now I give you free.
1: Well, I'd, I'll do my best here, though somewhat unwillingly. <clears throat> I thought you cheap ass want everything, want cheap room. Now I give you free. Also, never ask you suck my dick. Why are you so excited?
0: <laughs> Pretty good creep. Go on.
1: Wait, there's there's another one. <clears throat> Your legs very long, should be good sex partner. Guess only wanna prove to me. <laughs>
0: So, yeah, these are the messages she started getting as soon as she said, no, I don't want the room. I politely found another one. So, yeah, stay safe out there, Singapore, and maybe don't answer messages from Chow Yun, but.
1: Joining us now from Coconuts Hong Kong is managing editor Stuart White. Stuart, you were just listening in on Carrie Lam as she gave an update to what's been going on. What did she say? Well, this
2: afternoon, uh, Carrie Lam, the chief executive, came out and offered what she called a sincere apology for her handling of the extradition bill.
1: I personally have to shoulder much of the responsibility.
2: It was the first time she had apologized publicly. People had demanded it. Um, We saw our biggest protests on Sunday. Among the the chief demands that those protesters had was that not only should Lamb withdraw the bill entirely, but she should also apologize, drop charges against people who were arrested over previous protests, and step down. Uh, So, like, for those reasons, I mean, I think people were expecting something a little bit more grandiose than than what they actually got.
0: So, Stuart, you were there from the very first March, and you kind of watched this peaceful protest spiral into chaos, and you even got tear-gassed yourself. Can you tell us how we got here?
2: Sure. Uh, So the first big protests were actually months ago, back in April. But even after that, the government sort of thought that it could put its head down and power through. But criticism kept rolling in, and it's really impossible to overstate just how unpopular this bill is, which takes us to Sunday the 9th, which was the first huge demonstration. Frankly, I don't think anyone was expecting it to be quite as large as it was. Uh, organizers said that it was just over a million people. It was a very peaceful demonstration. Uh, a lot of families, like kids out there and stuff like that, ended pretty uneventfully and people dispersed. Uh, late that night, more hardcore elements, I guess you would say, uh, started provoking police around the uh, Legislative Council. You know, there was some violence and some arrests. That was the beginning of a sort of shift in the mood here um, mm-hmm. there appeared to be a, a sort of a breakdown in trust between people and the government at that point then we would really see that come to the fore on Wednesday. Uh, so you know I took the MTR down to the stop directly across from the legislature and I, as I'm coming out it was immediately surprised by how many people there were. There were people with hard hats in case, you know, stuff started flying through the air, people handing out goggles, uh, surgical masks in case there was tear gas. Throughout the the morning and the day, I had seen people sort of using zip ties to lash together these barricades. You know, they were getting prepared for the cops to come and clear them out. They weren't provoking anyone, per se, but they weren't sitting around singing Kumbaya. It was around 3 o'clock, probably, when it started to seem to me that people were getting a bit more restive. Um, Some of the protesters were being a bit more rowdy, and I think it must have been around the same time that police's patience was wearing thin, just before 4 o'clock was when the first tear gas rounds were fired. And because this was such a sprawling protest, I was actually nearby but didn't even realize that they had been um, fired because, you know, the, the view was blocked until I and seemingly everyone I was standing next to started to sort of smell it as the cloud of gas sort of passed over where we were standing. And at that point, people started running. We were on this crowded walkway because of the way the police were firing it, whether this was intentional or not, was sort of funneling people into these tight spaces where there weren't any any exits or there weren't exits that were large enough for crowds of those size. And I was actually worried that there would be a a danger of people basically being trampled by the crowds because a lot of people were panicking. Sure. And the police have, have maintained that, you know, the crowds were acting violently towards officers. I personally didn't witness that. So what may have started as a legitimate response to a handful of people who were provoking them at the front of the crowd quickly became a pretty organized campaign to clear a crowd of tens of thousands of people who were not doing anything to provoke the police.
0: How many times did you get tear gas that day?
2: Over the course of the day, like three and a half, I'll say three full times. And then after a while, it was just sort of in the air. Most of the time, I didn't even see it fired. I would just see it sort of fall in amongst or around wherever I was standing. think wednesday kind of galvanized people they came back as you said on sunday and even even bigger numbers than the sunday before and i don't think they're feeling like they're ready to settle for anything less than their actual demands being met that said the numbers at the actual site today they've petered out um there are still some people there some holdouts and that number might grow now that uh Kerry Lam has put out this apology that a lot of people are sure to find pretty unsatisfying. So going forward, it's hard to say what, what might happen. I, I don't think the organizers of the previous protests have officially called for another one as of right now, but I wouldn't rule that out.
0: All right. Thank you so much for joining us today, Stuart.
1: No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Now, back to Bangkok. What the hell happened last weekend?
0: Well, two competing motorcycle taxi stations, or WINS, got into a fight in the middle of the road, Sakonwood 103, right next to the Udomsuk BTS, and ended up killing an innocent bystander, or so we thought was an innocent bystander. So the story went. yeah, right. Who's a 20 year old carry delivery man and he died?
1: Motorcycle taxis had this street war and it was a war. I mean, it was, there was a daytime thing. It really
0: was. It was in broad daylight and they took over th- four lanes of on, the street. On what's
1: a very busy street. Yeah. And on the eastern edge of town.
0: And I think one of the biggest reasons the video, because it was definitely the video that like propelled the story to the spotlight, is the fact that in the video you can see cops and literally just standing there doing very little just to break up the fight. Yeah.
1: Well, as anyone who has spent time in Bangkok and other cities as well understands there's sort of these, like you said, stands of motorcycle taxi drivers. They they they're in little clumps here and there and they do have their territory. Like you can't just flag down any guy who comes by because he may not be assigned to that area and he's worried about causing conflict. Mm -hmm. So what what why what made these guys decide to try to kill each other on a Saturday morning in Bangkok?
0: Because of you and me, Todd, because of passengers, they were fighting over us. Well, us is in all of us.
1: Mm, you're saying we're all to blame. <laughs>
0: we're all to blame. <laughs> they want us. But yeah, so what was it? it in, what is interesting is that Tongpa Tongpanit, which is the chief of the Bangna police station in charge of the investigation, actually told me that both wins applied for a permit, which is required for you to be a win. But one of them hasn't gotten approved yet. But that none of that mattered because the true co- like the true cause of the fight was the fact that they were fighting over customers. And this is right next to the BTS so it's a really busy station. It's right next to Udomso BTS as well as a huge market. So it's like a hub for motorbikes.
1: Well, and you saw those I watched that footage. Did you see that part where like one homeboy he swings, what looks like, I don't know a two by four some piece of lumber? He doesn't hit anything and then he falls on his ass. Like I don't think these guys were very sober either. No. They got an early start Saturday.
0: So so far the police have obtained seven arrest warrants for the key, for the key players for both gangs. And yesterday they have successfully detained four of those men. But Nakon from the Bangna police station say they're actually going to look at the clip and identify everyone who was involved and summon everybody for prosecution. Yeah,
1: right. It seems like anytime there's one of these heinous incidents The reaction is like, we're going to enforce the laws. Yes. Like, okay, hello, where was that the day before?
0: Right, right. Because today they came out and they were like, we're going to tighten the law. We're going to immediately arrest people who are breaking the law. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. Isn't that kind of your job already?
1: <laughs> well, and things that, that had sound like they had no bearing on on this conflict in the first place, no. which is poor regulation of like their spaces and their territories. I mean, it's basically a gang turf war.
0: Yeah, and it's it's kind of what the Thai net is saying is that it's really embarrassing for Thailand, especially because there's a cop in the freaking video and he does nothing. It makes us look so bad. But I, for one, will not stop taking water size because for me, it is still the only way to get around. Well,
1: that's just it. They they don't get a lot of respect, but. This city, this city could not function without them. If you think about the ability to get – they're like the last – they're the solution to the last kilometer problem, right. which is you can get transportation somewhere, but then what? You're going to be stuck sweating or you're going to be stuck in traffic or you're going to be caught in the flood, um, and these guys get you there.
0: Right. So what Bangkok officials are trying to do right now is, per the request of the governor, they're going to go around to all these different stations and basically make a database of the people who are legally registered so they know exactly who should be working and who shouldn't be working.
1: There's not a whole lot more they can do. I mean, after the junta came to power five years ago, they made a really big push to regulate this industry and also recruit motorcycle taxis as information sources. Because if you think about it, like, who else in the city knows where you're going, when you're going, when you get out of your home, who you're with? I mean, this is really, they are the...
0: Littlefinger's minions.
1: Yeah. The, the, <laughs> if the, the little,
0: government was Littlefinger.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're the eyes and ears that really know everything going on. Yeah. So, so these guys not only serve for us as residents, a very important service, they also know everything we're up to.
0: Right. I also hear that they make a lot of money. One time I was like casually talking to a Tongla Motor Sai, and he told me that sometimes he makes up to 2,000 baht a day.
1: Yeah, in some ways it's not a bad job because you're independent. You can make that kind of money. But to get... A license to operate, would it be allowed by the local mafia to operate at a certain wing location can be extremely expensive. I've heard that I read a report from the Thai Chamber of Commerce in March that some places like Tong Lo to get that orange vest costs 800,000 baht. What? Seriously. What? Yeah.
0: Wow. Oh my god.
1: Now on average they said it's about thirty to forty thousand for most locations. It's still so but much. That's that's still a lot of money. And if you're pulling down, I think the average take of a Bangkok motorcycle taxi driver was nine hundred something baht a day.
0: Wow. That's still quite impressive.
1: And yeah, so about half of their about half of their money was going to serve as basically the debt to buy the vest. Um, and then on top of that to pay for the motorcycle. So yeah, not the worst job to have, but it's also
0: it comes with a good yeah. cost. But so you have to pay for the license once, though, right? It's not like a renew. It. You have to renew it every year. No
1: fucking idea.
0: <laughs> so if you're a motorbike and you know, call us. <laughs> we would love to know.
1: Well, thanks for joining us from Bangkok. This is Todd Reese,
0: and I'm Tara Kamaltanavith. Find these stories and more at Coconuts.co. Better yet, become a Cocoa Plus member and help us continue doing it.
1: Subscribe for about a buck American per week.
0: Special thanks this week to our producer, Inigo Mandagon, and gracious hosts at Bangkok Rock Academy studio.